You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of The Worship Review. My name is Colin. I am a history professor at a research university in the Midwest. Colin's actually an economist who (laughs) poses as a history professor. That actually is... I I resemble that remark. (laughs) I am Tyler. I'm a PhD student, and I study German and linguistics at the same institution. All right. And today we are going to be looking at the song O Come to the Altar by Elevation Worship. One of the things we like to do on this podcast is to think reflectively about the songs that we sing in church. So that means not just enjoying the experience, not just going along for the ride, not just elevating ourselves into the stratosphere of whatever that might be, the Holy Spirit, or maybe the burrito that we had, or the coffee that we had for breakfast at church. So in many cases, the coffee could do the elevation, elevation. increased heart rate, alertness, there is a song. Did I show you this? There's a song called Jesus and Coffee or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but today we're not looking at Jesus and Coffee. We are looking at Oh Come to the Altar. And we're going to look at this by asking three questions. And these are simple questions, but they actually open up a lot about the song. Who or what is the song about? What happens in the song? And is the song coherent and consistent and clear? Tyler, I want to give you that first question. What is the song about? This song is an invitation. And the invitation is written to a needy listener to pursue healing and salvation at the altar. He or she will then come into the embrace of the Father by the forgiveness purchased by Jesus. And the individual is then moved from a position of wanting and need to a posture of gladly proclaiming the benefits of salvation to the world. So there's a progression in the song. There's kind of a a story almost. Yes, we move from uh, are you hurting and broken within, this open question. Um, And presumably the answer is yes. Yeah, I can't imagine someone listening to this and saying, no. So we have a, a person who is hurting and broken. And in a quite specific way, they're not just vaguely hurting and broken, there is the weight of their sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we do have some sense as to what's wrong with them and that Jesus calls them. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's it's not exactly a song to God, which is fine. It really is. It's a song from one person to another. Mm-hmm. We have this uh, analogy, I don't know if you've heard it, of one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Mm. This song kind of reads like that. Mm-hmm. Where you have one person who's found something, who's found Christ, and is telling another person successfully, like that, it, and that actually leads to a conversion experience. Yeah, it does sound like presuppositional evangelism in some ways, not n- not necessarily theological 
presuppositions, but emotional presuppositions. I assume that the person I'm talking to is needy, is bowed down by the weight of their sin, whether or not they're willing to acknowledge that. And I think this mm-hmm. is all true. Uh, and I offer them uh, a place where, just like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, those burdens come mm-hmm. off. Yeah. And then they, they go into doxology, mm-hmm. and then they end up evangelizing themselves. Yeah, and at, at this altar, this mystic altar, God the Father's arms are open wide. So presumably for a big embrace of mm-hmm. the one who comes. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Jesus is calling. Um, Jesus is calling. Mm-hmm. Present progressive. He is continually calling mm-hmm. you to the altar. And he is said to be wonderful. He's said to be risen. He's said to be the Lord of all. Um, his blood has purchased our redemption. Mm-hmm. And we, the listener, are in need. We're hurting. These are all words. In need, hurting, broken, overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to leave behind these things and come to the altar. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we're told to bear our cross and tell the world. And wait for the crown and tell the world of the treasure we found. So, I mean, we really are getting into a lot of the actions. And it, there there are many of them because it the song has a an almost narrative quality. I mean, it just describes the fantasy or the, the ideal or the utopian, like, evangelistic cr- crusade or something. Yeah, it does sound like it was written for an altar call yes. in particular. And maybe yeah. the second to last song in a service yeah. where these people— they realize that they're hurting and they come forward and they yeah. receive salvation. Here's the thing. In popular music, you have some specific songs that will always sell if you can attach them to certain nostalgic and or important life decisions. If you can write a graduation song, hope we had the time of our, you know, bum, ba, bum, exactly. Ba, 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 or um, a song about a wedding mm. or a song about... A first kiss. And honey, I will be loving you exactly. till 70. Exactly. Th- this is also true in the world of Christian music as well. And again, I don't think I'm too cynical to at least point this out. Now, I'm not going to accuse this song of something, but I will just... People need to be aware. If you can attach a song to communion, it is far more likely to be played in church. It is far more likely to generate more licensing fees. If you can attach a song to baptism, like these are things that happen often in a church service. If you can attach a song to an offering, and one of the main liturgical elements in a kind of broad Baptist type church is the altar call. So I'm not saying that, you know, a group of Christian industry experts got sat down and were like, we need to write an altar call song and we're going to do this at the same time. This song certainly sounds like it was r- at least written with the altar call experience in mind. Yeah, and I also want to add, I don't want to ridicule altar calls either. No, 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 sure. I think there People comes a converted. point in the Christian life where you realize the weight of your sin and you will publicly profess your faith and, and yeah. say, I have turned from my sin, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and 
for the rest of your life are, are then Christian. But it's also possible, just go with me for a minute, it's conceivable that things might be manipulated emotionally to encourage these professions without giving the proper and due thought to the decision that they're making. So yes. it's possible that you could exploit a person's insecurity to make them profess yeah. their faith. I don't know. Like if you go to buy a car at a dealership, you could go and the things that the dealer is saying to you could be 100% the truth. And the salesperson could be being totally honest with you. And you might be making a rational, calculated decision. And he may be, or she may be bringing you genuine facts and figures about the car and its price and its value. That could be the case. And that does happen at car dealerships. But another thing that can happen at car dealerships is you could be made to wait a long time. So you begin to sink time into the experience and therefore feel like you can't walk out of there without a car. Various tactics could be used against you to apply pressure. Numbers could be manipulated. For example, a salesman might talk to you mostly about what you're going to pay per month rather than what the car actually costs you, which is a manipulation tactic. The point is, when you go to the dealer, you might be getting a good deal. You might also be getting taken advantage of. And what that that taints the experience overall. I have been in churches where I thought the altar call was absolutely genuine and where people who responded were doing so in a genuine way. It can be it can be a, a great thing. It can also be manipulative and the conversions that come out of that can therefore be sort of coerced or they can be a product of a zeit, you know the zeitgeist of the altar call. And can God work in that environment? Of course he can. He can work in any environment he wants, but we still want to promote healthy practice within the church. Yeah. Hey, cross as you wait for the crown Tell the world of the treasure you found I find it interesting that in the story of this song, we see the progression of need, of acceptance of worship and then immediately of evangelism and an essential part of the Christian life is also evangelism and but at the same time there is also a kind of multi-level marketing aspect of some threads of evangelicalism where it seems like the goal is to convert as many people convert, and I put that in inverted commas for the British people, uh, quotation marks, for air quotes for the Americans, to just convert people. That is to just simply go out, talk to people, get people to come to the church and join the church. And the church experience is just kind of geared towards people who are in this, the, basically who are left where this song is at. They know enough to know that they need something and they 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 maybe responded to it and then what they know is they just need to go tell people about it and there's a kind of simplicity to that that's endearing in that like people are just so enthusiastic about what's happened to them that they just want to go tell people about it and there's something that's really there's something good about that but at the same time the christian experience also includes growing in grace and knowledge and truth and sanctification and maturity and so a church a church service and 
and songs that are kind of perpetually feeding a culture of kind of newly converted Christians, that becomes unhealthy, I suppose. The closest analogy that I think helps get across what I'm trying to say is the romantic comedy. Now, we have romantic comedies about couples at various stages of their relationships. But wouldn't you say that it's most often the case that the focus of films about relationships typically are on the relationship as it forms? Like the the, the boy meets girl stage and the, the courtship stage and maybe even or perhaps most often the 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 marriage. That's the end of the movie where they get married, right? Or they be- become permanently in a relationship. And on the one hand, that makes sense because that, that time is a special time. And there, you had profound emotions. And like my wife and I were just, it was magnetic. That's the only way to describe it. And as our relationship has grown, we, we, we still have that magnetism, but it's, it's matured and it's deepened. And it's kind of lost that, the superficiality. But that superficiality was also very exciting at the same time. It would be a problem if my wife and I just constantly focused on what our relationship was in the stage of our dating to the point where it really diminished the value of the maturity and growth and depth and the fights and the negotiations and the having to deal with parenting and all of the things that we've gone through. Like, that would be, a, that would be, we would be missing out on really appreci- appreciating the seasoning of our relationship. And as a Christian, if we idealize our conversion story, and many people have dramatic conversion stories that are authentically dramatic, but a lot of people also maybe feel the need to have dramatic conversion stories because we've come up with this idea, especially in the last 80 years or so, that a Christian really needs to have a dramatic conversion story. And that's just simply not true. And, you know, like my wife does, does not have a dramatic conversion story. She can just kind of see God working in her and changing her and revealing himself to her from as early as she can remember. And I think a lot of people actually could say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, the we, I encourage evangelism as well, and we also want to see Christians telling the world of the treasure they found, but hopefully they are mature enough in their faith that they can tell specific things about that treasure. And so I think that's the idea behind maturity preceding evangelism, not obviously reaching 100% Christian maturity and then moving to evangelism, but at least logically preceding it. um, You want to be able to tell people truths about the Christian life and your security and the things that you're praising him for. Tyler, is this song 
Consistent, coherent, and clear? This song is consistent in that it calls a person to the altar in several ways. But it's not always coherent or clear in that the analogies don't always fit well, or they leave a lot to be explained. So verse 2 opens with, Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. And then three lines later, Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. So which one am I doing? Am I leaving them all behind and coming bare to the altar? Or am I bringing my sorrows to the altar to be traded for joy? That's one way in which I think it's not entirely clear what's meant. Also, I think we've seen this in another song, but the image of the phoenix. Yeah. Also, the uh, this bird, it perishes, burns up into ash, and then is reborn. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we need that. I didn't think that we did either. I suspect that this is meant to be elusive to Isaiah 61, where we have the idea of God giving people who mourn beauty for ashes or a beautiful covering for ashes. But you have to do some work to get that. And so the actual line is, bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. So the first part of that seems to imply the kind of transaction that we see in in that chapter of Isaiah of bringing in sorrows and trading them for joy. But then the way that ashes is used actually is not the same way that ashes is used in that verse. The The way ashes is used here is the reference to the Phoenix myth. So you have the same word that appears in Scripture but it's being used in a different way. It's either poorly written illusion or is similar to what we've seen before, which is just drawing upon a metaphor that's just out there in the ether. Which of, I think is what it's doing because I agree. In in the the myth of the phoenix, the ashes are the substance from which the new phoenix is born. And we would not say that in the Christian life, the sorrows that we have no. become the substance no. for our joy. And we are new creatures in Christ. Absolutely. That's quite dangerous, actually, if yeah. if just inverting our sorrows is the nature of our joy in Christ. Yeah. That, again, we talked about this in a previous podcast, but that is why you so much care is needed about the words that are used and metaphors that are used. Because if you examine these metaphors in, in much depth— they often contain in them aspects that turn the use of the metaphor into something erroneous or perhaps even heretical. thought in the overall trajectory of the song, Big Picture, there is quite a bit of clarity. We have mm-hmm. this person who's in insecure, needy. They come to the altar. They are um, transformed. And we have this bridge near the end. Oh, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing Alleluia. Christ is risen. Bow down before him for he is Lord of all. Sing Alleluia. Christ is risen. So I interpreted this as the the actual praise that is offered at the altar because we yeah. have this person, they come forward, they're at the altar, they sing this, and then they go out and they tell the world. So it is a very well-structured yeah. song in, the, in terms of the trajectory it's setting up for the believer. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's a very coherent and clear story 
And again, I think you you see things moving in the progression that they should. You have a person who's in their sin. You have a person who then responds, and they move to doxology, which is what that bridge is exactly. And then, uh, you know, living the Christian life mm-hmm. uh, at the end. So there's a real logic, a real coherence to the song. This song also draws upon a common phrase in an old hymn, which is what a savior. That is not just a song. That is not just a phrase that the writer of this song made up. That that clearly references that hymn, Hallelujah, What a Savior, 1875 by Philip Bliss, and a song which has been redone several times recently as well. Because it's a great line, Hallelujah, What a Savior, Man mm-hmm. of Sorrows, that, that song. But again, that... What a Savior is intermixed between images of the Savior um, yeah. doing things or being things, a man of sorrows, bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place, condemned he stood. 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 Yeah. Uh, I thought I thought this song was pretty clear, and I thought there are many references, good references to Scripture. So just the idea of the Father's arms being open wide, I think of the prodigal son story from Luke 15 verses 11 through 32. It's a song which could have gone badly if they wouldn't have put in the first verse about overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. I think that first verse could have been a bit therapeutic. I was immediately turned off the first time I heard the first line of this song. You know, are you hurting and broken within? And the person that was singing it, I think, kind of sung it in this sad, crackly voice. And the guy that sings it, sings it in that way. You know, are you hurt? You know, it's almost like a He's almost crying when he sings it. And so when I first heard that, I just was like, nope, therapy. But then the second line is overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. So they do, there is clarity about what is causing sad. It's not just sadness. I picked up on that aspect as well when I listened to it, that very therapeutic aspect. Um, and it was a turnoff for me too. I also want to just add for listeners, we do not advocate against therapy for yeah, people, yeah, yeah. for Christians. We think it's actually very good yeah. <laughs> counsel and uh, getting a professional to yeah. listen to and uh, discuss your thoughts and feelings. I think that's really healthy. What we mean when we say therapeutic is a text which makes its end, its ultimate orientation toward the reformation of certain feelings in the person. Mm-hmm. That's what we mean when we say therapeutic. Yeah. Where either the problem or the solution, or often both, is merely of felt needs. I'm ready to talk about my rating. All right. Tyler, what did you rate the song? I give this song two out of five children's coloring books. I gave this song three out of five Stephen Furtick coloring books as well. <laughs> Phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, we were in so we don't talk ahead of time as to what our ratings are going to be. It's or always about a, anything really. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's a surprise. And so, yes, we were both <laughs> going in the same direction. So for the listeners who who don't know what we're <laughs> referencing here, there's a uh, there's an image floating on some Christian blogs of a coloring book that was made and the artist who did all these designs has confirmed that she did these drawings. Um where there's an image of Stephen Furtick. Who's the pastor of Elevation Church, which is where this worship band performs. And also one of the authors of this song, um, Teaching. He's behind a lectern, and there are people in the audience, and the text says, Unity. So presumably this is virtues for the church. And the subtitle is, 
we are united under the visionary. Yeah, and the visionary is, of course, uh, has this, uh, you know, m- millennial haircut uh, that looks just like Stephen Furtick. <laughs> Curiously. <laughs> and he's got skinny jeans on or whatever. Maybe he doesn't like him. Anyway, it's obviously Stephen Furtick. But we're not going to pile on that guy. So many others have already, I think, done the world a great service by... Listen, anyone who describes themselves as a visionary probably deserves to be made fun of a yes. little bit. yeah. And maybe I deserve to be made fun of for saying that, but that's also fine. I probably do. If you wish to make fun of us, please send your comments and emails. Emails are feedback at theworshipreview.com and you know, comment on wherever you've happened to have heard this podcast, whether it's YouTube or wherever else. And you know, hopefully at some point we can respond to some of the good uh, and, and particularly witty feedback we receive, whether it is in agreement or or disagreement. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Take care and have a good rest of your week. We'll see you next time. Cheers. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.